Welcome to the second part of our Advent sermon series. Um, Advent is, if this is your first time in a church, um, Advent is a celebration of Jesus coming to the earth. Um, and this Advent, we are reflecting on the question, why did Jesus come? Um, the, that's the title of our sermon series. That's, that's what we are pondering upon. Why did Jesus come? And what we've been doing is looking at some answers which Jesus himself gave um, for this. Why did he come? And uh, we're looking at these answers, meditating, pondering on them, and seeing how over 2,000 years later, how is it still relevant to our hearts? Or probably how is it even more relevant to our hearts now, living in this uh, day and age? Last week, we looked at Mark chapter 10, verses 45, where Jesus said, I have come to serve uh, and not to be served. And that, that talk is on our uh, all uh, streaming platforms. If you want to watch a video of it, it's on our YouTube channel. Um, today, we're going to be looking at the second reason that Jesus gives. Uh, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 5, verses 32, where Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. I have not come to uh, call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I'll just read out the chapter for us. We're looking at Luke chapter 5, verses 27 to 32. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Um, the Levi that we're going to be talking about, that the passage talks about, is uh, his other name is Matthew. He's the one who's written the first account, the gospel account um, in the New Testament. Allow me to just pray before we start. Uh, Jesus, we want to thank you because um, just hearing your call, follow me, and you saying, I have come for the sinners, for the brokenhearted, uh, it, it, that is what our hearts need, and that is why we are here. We have nothing to offer, uh, but we are here because you are the offering that was made. Um, Holy Spirit, would you help our hearts adore Jesus even more, even as we look at what he said in his word. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Here's the three things we're going to be looking at. The first thing is the celebration of Advent. The second thing is, who is Advent not for? And the third thing is, who is Advent for? Yeah, the celebration, who is Advent not for, and who is Advent for? Let's, let's dive straight in. This is what Jesus is saying. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Advent season, like I said, is a celebration of Jesus coming onto this earth. I mean, we pause to reflect on the beauty of this, the beauty of an omnipotent, 
omniscient, omnipresent God, putting on flesh, blood, and bones, and being made vulnerable in the form of a baby to enter this earth. You know, one of the songs we usually sing uh, captures this beauty so well. I'm just going to borrow those lyrics. It's going to come up for us on the screen. This is what it says. It says, how low was our Redeemer bought? The king who held the stars lay helpless in a maiden's arms and pressed against her heart. While sheep and cattle raised their voice, the babe could speak no words. The ever-flowing spring of joy, that's Jesus, had come to share our thirst. Then he says, how low was our Redeemer brought? The Lord the worlds obeyed, would stumble as he learned to walk upon the ground he'd made. The one who angels bowed before would kneel to wash our feet. We looked at that last week. And be at home among the poor, though he owned everything. Friends, we reflect on what this means, this amazing, this beauty. But, but the thing is, we don't just stop there. The beauty of how Christ came to this earth must point us to the beauty of how Christ enters our lives. Our own deep personal lives. Let's look at what's happening in this passage and let's look at how Christ enters Levi's life. A little context into what's happening in the chapter if you're if this is your first time in church. Israel was politically ruled by Rome and some Jews worked as tax collectors. So they would collect tax and give it to Rome. And they were, they were hated. They were considered as collaborators with Rome against their fellow Jews. You know, they had the force of Roman soldiers behind them to pressurize people into giving money to Rome. They were hated even more because in those days, People could apply, they were tenders, people could apply to be tax collectors and promise to give this amount of money to Rome as tax and whatever they collected over and above that was theirs. So there was even more incentive and motivation to pressurize people into giving more to them. And that is why people hated them. And Levi was one of them. And this was who Jesus was calling in this chapter. He says in front of everyone who probably hated him, follow me. Can you picture that? He passes by that booth which probably people look and hate and they, if given a chance, would probably stone it. Jesus passes by, looks at Levi, says, follow me. Put yourselves in Levi's shoes for a moment. You know that you're hated by everyone. Nobody wants to associate with you. If not for the Roman soldiers backing, you'd be stoned to death. And Jesus, the embodiment of perfect holiness, comes and says, follow me. 
And then he comes to your home, a home that probably only got the stink eye from everyone who passed by. He comes along with his disciples and then he does something beautiful. Look at verse 29 saying, Levi made a great feast in his house and there was a large company of tax collectors, several others who people hated, probably his friends and others reclining at the table with them. Jesus and his disciples reclining at the table. Look at this. He reclines at the table. In Jewish custom, they didn't dine like we do, formally on straight chairs. There was a low table and they would recline. So basically one arm would be there and they would recline with their feet outward and then they would eat. We see Jesus doing this several times in the Gospels. When, when a woman comes and breaks that perfect, expensive perfume jar, Jesus was reclining at a table. At, at the, the last supper, where Jesus washed people's, the disciples' feet, he was reclining at the table. You know, um, Leonardo da Vinci's portrait that became so famous of the last supper is not an accurate representation. Jesus is reclining around a table. When you're reclining, all your guards and defenses are down. You are one with the person you are eating. Just as the Lord of all heavens and earth entered into a world and lay in a lowly and a messy manger, he enters our hearts and resides in it despite its mess and brokenness. The beauty of Advent is seeing this picture in totality, not just how he came to the earth, which is beautiful, but also look at how he came to reside in our messy hearts. This is what we celebrate. Now, who is Advent not for? Jesus says in verse 32, I have not come to call the righteous. I have not come to call the righteous. Jesus was addressing the Pharisees when he said this. The Pharisees look at Jesus eating with tax collectors and, and they ask his disciples, why do you eat with and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now, why did Jesus say, I have not come to call the righteous? The Pharisees, if you don't know, are a prominent, were a prominent religious group in that time. The word Pharisee itself meant separated ones. They separated from anything they thought was unholy or not righteous. They, they were separated and, and they felt they were the righteous ones. They were the only ones deserving of the love of God. They outwardly kept all traditions and customs, but their heart was far from God. So Jesus knows this. He knows this more than anyone else. So why is he calling these Pharisees even righteous in this chapter? He's making, he's calling them righteous to make a deeper point. In saying he didn't come for the righteous, he's making a deeper point about the kind of righteousness these Pharisees practiced. A little later in the storyline, um, we see Jesus talking to the Pharisees and this is what he says. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! 
For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. Probably like the Taj Mahal. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Ouch. Doesn't that hurt? Friends, let me ask us this question. How do we see ourselves? Do we see ourselves as basically good people? I'm basically a good person. I know I have a little flaws here and there, but overall, when you put everything together as a whole package, I'm basically a good person. Or do we see ourselves as innately sinful and flawed people in desperate need of salvation? Are we thinking to ourselves, I do so many things right. You know, I do so many things right. I know I slip up here and there. But overall, for the most part, I'm okay. I'm good. The Pharisees basically thought they were basically good people. And Jesus is mincing no words here in saying, I came not to call the righteous. Friends, Advent isn't for people who think they are basically good and feel no need for a savior. If I'm thinking I'm basically a good person, Advent is probably not for us. It's for people who are basically innately sinful in need of a savior. And that's all of us. Now let me qualify this before we go ahead. Because we live in a world where Jesus already came and took the punishment of our sin on the cross, but has not yet removed the presence of sin in our lives, in this space where he is patiently transforming us, we must of course avoid the error of the Pharisee that we are talking about, where we think we are basically good people, we are sorted. But we must also avoid the equal and opposite error. Which is, think, we're anyway sinners. I'll do whatever I want. Or the other end, we're anyway sinners, there is no hope, and spiral down into a place of hopeless depression. That's not what this means. We must see ourselves as basically sinful people whose sins have already been punished in Christ, who is now healing us and transforming us to one day perfect us in his own beauty and likeness. So we must avoid both these errors. But here's the thing. In the hustle culture of the maximum city, where there's always someone better than you, and the moment a weakness is shown, you are easily replaced. 
living in a culture like this as successful artists entrepreneurs professionals we are more likely to err in the way of the pharisee it's all about that carefully packaged view of self it's all about building that personal brand which makes you stand out and your strengths shine and holding on to something that we think we are good at that makes us good enough while all our flaws hide between in beneath these strengths friends shall we shall we ask ourselves this question what is giving us the illusion that we are actually basically good people and we are well and we are not desperately sick what is telling us or what makes us think we are set apart from the others what makes us think we are a cut above than the general public what makes us think what makes us feel good about ourselves this about me makes me feel really good i think i'm better than others at this friends these are good things but when we go to these things to hide from what we are bad at then they become bad things then they become terrible things these are the things that often keep us away from daily needing jesus as our savior here's the thing the sins that lie beneath what we are doing right is often more harmful to our souls than the sins that surface in what we do wrong shall we ask ourselves what is it it's probably our career that is going really well a recent bonus or incentive or a promotion that we got that we makes us feel really good probably it's it's our loving and doting and caring family which we think is going better than probably other families that we see around probably it's 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 our ability and skill to plan and provide for that family probably uh if 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 you're engaging in mercy and justice and and uplifting the poor and downtrodden probably it's that that is making us feel good about ourselves and makes us feel we are slightly better off than the others probably in this layoff season especially it's our unique skills that we bring to the table that makes sure that we still have that job that makes us sure that they're not going to fire me probably it's the access that we have to the upper management probably it's our place in the upper management that makes us feel i'm good enough i'm not as bad he's clearly saying i came not to call the righteous i came not to call the people who think they are basically good people friends i can tell you from personal experience that thinking that i'm basically a good person is probably one of the most dangerous cancerous sins that can that can lie within you that still makes you put a great exterior but slowly will eat you up from the inside 
you know last week my uh, wife and i celebrated four years um, of our marriage and as we look back at that four years uh, one of the biggest things that our marriage suffered from was me thinking that i'm basically a good person you know i believed this all my life uh the truth that i'm a sinner in need of grace though it was in my head never went down into my heart when i got married this really hit me there's no place to hide right there's no place to hide your flaws it's it's all out there in the open uh it's so easy to hurt the person and here's the thing whenever my wife and i would fight typically when when she would call me out on something here's how i would respond here are the two ways that i would respond the first thing i'd be like but I, there's no way i meant it that way i'm not like that are you seeing i'm like that i'm not like that there's no way i meant it that way the second thing i do this but i did this this and this for you why are you not seeing that why are you not seeing that You see, in, in, in that in that place, in my heart, instead of feeling empathy for the person that I hurt, is going and in fact showing, doing two things: surprised at my own sin, and secondly, hide in all the things that I did good, and end up hurting the person even more. It took me four years, and I'm still growing to see the magnitude. of the sin of thinking i'm basically a good person and it's not just my marriage it affects my work it affects my relationships it affects everything and just the awareness growing awareness is helping me you know on our anniversary date uh, lunch date uh, taru told me i think we fight better now uh and and we have grown in this and i'm truly seeing as that's god the physician jesus my physician healing my sin and healing my marriage i am a desperately innately sinful person in need of my savior friends how is this playing out in your life how is this core belief of thinking i'm basically a good person affecting us affecting people around us affecting everything in our lives jesus again i'm preaching this truth to my heart first saying i did not come to call the righteous even more in this advent season so then who is advent for he's saying i have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance jesus came to call the sinners we know this we know this but we need to hear this truth even more now in this passage there are two kinds of sinners i don't know who you are relating to you probably relate to both of them a little bit firstly is that openly sinful person who everyone hates which is levi and secondly there's this person with a perfect exterior but whose heart is terribly messed up and that's the pharisee i don't know who you relate with 
probably it's a little bit of both. Here's the message of Advent. Into this world filled with stubborn, strong-headed sinners like you and I, stepped the only sinless one who lived a perfect life. Who would have been absolutely right to reject and destroy both the Levi kind of the sinner and the Pharisee kind of the sinner. But he comes as a gentle and patient savior who comes, reclines with us, communes with us, convicts us of our sinfulness, takes that very sin upon himself and bears the punishment for you and I on the cross. This is the message of Advent. And why did he do this? A follower of Jesus says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, he says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He did this so that we could be made righteous in him, clothed in all of his goodness, clothed in all of his sinlessness. And this is exactly why God didn't come to call the righteous. If I'm already clothed in my own righteousness, it doesn't make sense. I don't need to be clothed in Christ's righteousness. Only a sinner, only a sinner can be clothed in Christ's righteousness. But how does this perfectly happen? I mean, practically happen? We talk about being clothed in Christ's righteousness often. But how does this practically happen? Look at what's happening in this passage. Look at what Jesus is saying. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And repentance is something that we at New City keep talking about again and again. But today I want to look at how this repentance practically looks like in terms of rejecting our own righteousness and taking on Christ's. Repentance is basically the key difference of being clothed in our own righteousness and being clothed in Christ's righteousness. What do I mean? Going back to the example of my marriage, when faced with my flaws in the fight, if I say, I know I'm better better than this and I can work on my communication skills, I can work on my empathy and genuinely being nice to my wife and, and communicate well, I am trying to wear my own righteousness. Why? Because I'm completely bypassing Christ in trying to be good. And, and all of this I need to grow in. These are good things to grow in. But I'm completely bypassing Christ. How do I wear the righteousness of Christ then? It is through repentance. In a fight, when I see it as not just a skill issue, but lying beneath it is a deep heart sin issue, I run to Christ. I see that as much as I want to grow in my empathy, as much as I want to grow in my communication skills, as much as I want to grow in my love for my wife, I cannot do this. If we do not come to that place of I cannot do this and run to Christ, friends, we are still 
wearing our own righteousness and not being covered in Christ's righteousness. So what does it mean to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ? Repent. In repentance, we are removing our own cloak of righteousness and taking on the perfect goodness, the perfect sinlessness of Christ and letting Him do the healing inside of us. Letting Him change a stone-cold heart into an empathetic heart. Letting Him change a heart that puts self first into a heart that genuinely grows in caring and loving the other person. In repentance, we remove our own cloak of our righteousness and put on Christ's followers of Jesus. What are the areas in which we need to repent? Now I know that we keep doing this. We, 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 uh, we know the areas that we are bad at. We know these areas that we are bad at and we need to repent of them. But this passage is forcing us to do something different. What are the areas in our life that we feel we don't need to repent for? What are the areas in our life that we feel that we've got it covered, that we've got it sorted? Those are the areas in which we are wearing our own righteousness. Now, the bad parts of us, we know. We know we need to repent for, and, and at some point, we, even though we are slow, terrible, messed up, stubborn people, we'll get to that point of repentance. But the areas that we are good at, where we don't even know that we need repentance for, those are the areas. It's the things that we're doing right. The sins between underneath those which are more harmful. And that is what Christ is calling us to repent for. If you're an explorer, what does this mean for you? If this is your first time in a church, you've noticed that our culture is placing a huge importance on being authentic. I want the real you. I, don't put up your fake self, bro. I want authenticity. I want the real you. But this is what it's preaching to us. It's saying, acknowledge your flaws and your imperfections. But this is what it's preaching to us. It's saying, wear your imperfections, wear your flaws as a badge of honor. That is who you are. Nobody can tell you to change. While it's, it might sound like a very uplifting and motivating thing to do, they are not bearing the brunt of what those imperfections are doing to our heart. When those flaws eat us up on the inside and, and we are on the bed alone, they are not bearing. It's our hearts that are going through and seeing how these imperfections and flaws that we are called to wear as a badge of honor, taking a toll on our lives. Friends, here's how Jesus is different. Here's how why our souls need him. He created you. He formed you in your mother's womb. He probably sees much more of your heart than you do. He probably sees deeper flaws if you think you are X messed up, he probably sees 10X of your heart. And he says, he still doesn't reject. The world might judge you, 
The world might say, I can't stand you. But he still comes, reclines with you, communes with you, and says, I want to transform you. And I want to love you into transformation. You know, this call that he calls uh, Levi, he says, follow me, is a very powerful call that is still valid for all of us today. You know, that call that Levi got, follow me, from being an extortionist, most hated tax collector, he goes on to write the first written account of Jesus in the Bible, in the New Testament, which we get to read and grow in our love of Jesus. This is a powerful call. Follow me. And that is what Jesus is saying to you. Would you like to respond to this call? Would you like to respond to this call? Allow me to just pray, even as I close. Jesus, thank you for, because as much as we are convicted by this verse, where he says, where you say, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance, it is also freeing because each of us know how, how terribly short we fall of our own standard of goodness, how disappointed we are with ourselves. How can we ever, ever try to meet your standard, God? Thank you for saying you have not come to call the righteous. Thank you for coming for the sinners. Thank you for coming for broken, flawed, messed up people. Thank you for the hope that we have in you. We respond to this call, Lord. As, as believers, Lord, we respond. We see all these areas in which we think we're good enough are, are making us feel good about ourselves. All these good things which you have given us, but we have substituted uh, them for you in running to them. We repent of them, Lord. Lord, for those of us who are explorers, Holy Spirit, would you give us the grace? You, you have created, you have the power to create in us a new heart, a heart that is responsive to Christ and a heart that is capable to respond to this love. Would you do that? Would you do that? In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.